Hi, and welcome to Leadership Amplified. I'm glad to have you listening to another inspiring leadership story. I'm your host, Dr. Karen Morley. I'm delighted to be profiling Sarah Fortuna in this episode. Sarah is Strategy and Operations Lead at the Atlantic Fellows for Social Equity Program, which we're going to find out more about later. Sarah has expertise in four purpose startups in the higher education sector. She is skilled in international development, governance, business development, donor relations, government relations and policy. Sarah spent several years working on gender equality initiatives in Southeast Asia with UN Women. She joined the University of Melbourne in 2011 as a strategy advisor in the office of the Vice-Chancellor. From there, she went to the University's Centre for Workplace Leadership as Operations Manager and on to her current role at the Atlantic Fellows in 2017. Sarah has a Master of Social Science in International Development and Advanced Communication. She's also a graduate of the Executive Master of Arts program, one that's very dear to her heart and mine. I've been teaching on the program for a decade. Unfortunately, I just missed out on the pleasure of teaching Sarah, but luckily we met through the student network. Welcome, Sarah. Thanks so much for joining me. And I'm really looking forward to our conversation about leadership today. Thanks, Karen. Um, as usual, we start uh, the, the podcast with um, a bit of an introduction to you in terms of your leadership journey um, and some of the challenges, successes, opportunities and or lessons that you've had that have brought you to where you're at now. Tell us about how you started, you, you've done some work in terms of development, um, mm-hmm. you're interested in for purpose organisations and startups, you've spent quite a bit of your career in the higher education sector. So how did all of that get started? What were, okay. what were the, the origins of that? Sure. So I think um, I would never have thought that I had a leadership journey. I, I was, a, you know, a country kid who uh, was just trying to figure out the world and when growing up I sort of saw a lot of community leadership on display but to be perfectly honest that looked like incredibly thankless work and did not resonate with me at all. Um, I I moved to Melbourne for uni as lots of country kids do and really look my goal at that stage was survival and I um was really I was a curious and, and engaged person, but I honestly just didn't really like my goal at that point was that maybe I'd get a job in an office, and if I was really mm-hmm. lucky, it might be in an NGO, which would just have been the dream. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, it, it, it my expectations started pretty small, but um, sort of to fast forward a bit, I was lucky enough to kind of have a couple of student exchange experiences through uni, which right. got me. Yep studying overseas and really started thinking about what a sort of a globally focused career would be like. So I really doubled down on a career in international development. Mm-hmm. And that was um, and that was amazing. Again, it, like, you know, I just wanted a foot in the door. Like I had very, very few expectations of what that could look like. But um, mm. I was a hard worker and I had a couple of lucky breaks and 
I found myself working in a UN agency for a couple of years in Asia, yep. which I think the point of that was just that I realised that I had absolutely no idea what my expectations could reasonably be and they had been smashed thus far. So, you know, what else could happen? So after so that, you had some low expectations, but then you had these overseas experiences um, and being in the non government sort of sector seemed to be particularly keen um when when and how did your expectations change I think it was just a matter of realizing that I didn't really know what was possible so in fact my expert I didn't ever start setting new goals and saying this is my new goal I just understood that I had no idea what the goal what, yeah. what what the end goal could be. So I just started mm-hmm. really flinging myself at opportunities really and just mm-hmm. I had a sense of openness and a sense of opportunity, which um, was the beginning. And still again, like I would not have, if, if, you, if anyone had said, hey, talk about your leadership journey at that stage, I would have said, oh, I, I'm not leadership material. Like I was just a yeah. hard worker. I was a good team player. I'd found a way to be useful in teams and that was great. Um, they sound like quite good qualities for leadership but anyway let's continue right it was and it was a funny one because I I loved working in the agency in the UN agency but as I after a little while I I sort of thought to myself look I want more responsibility but I look around and I see a lot of really unhealthy management practices and I thought to Mm -hmm. myself if I wanted to start climbing this ladder I, I can't see any role models that I want to emulate and I'm not and I worry that I will just replicate these same mistakes um, so I, I decided to come back to Melbourne and study the executive uh, master of arts at University of Melbourne in the hope that maybe I would learn how to be a good leader um, mm-hmm. and at the same time I also have got a part-time job at the Victorian Department of Justice in the office of the secretary and was so lucky to be in a very, very high-functioning team under the leadership of Penny Armitage, the secretary, and it just completely opened my eyes to what good leadership could be. Um, Okay, so now you had a different role model. Exactly, and I could see that there was something perhaps I could learn. I think I was really starting to think about leadership, but I was really worried. I didn't want to be a bad leader. I just felt like I saw them everywhere. I just didn't want to be one. I didn't want to compound the problems that I saw in a lot of places. Um, so after the Masters, I uh, took a big leap of faith and applied for a job in the um, as a strategy advisor at the University of Melbourne in the Vice-Chancellor's office. And again, mm. saw a very different but, again, very effective style of leadership under Glenn Davis. And I also saw that, in fact, the lifeblood of really high-performing teams was often the, um, so we had an excellent chief of staff in that team. He was absolutely committed to our growth as individuals and as a team, and it made me realise that actually those roles are so, so important. And, in fact, Mm -hmm. the senior leaders support and allow those roles to flourish, absolutely, but the real support and development of me came through the chief of staff, which... I learned I learned so much in that and that was a fantastic time and I really started to also I was lucky enough in that role I spent a lot of time developing strategic projects with other senior leaders so I spent a lot of time even just as the you know worker bee spent a lot of time in the company of executives and that was very formative and really useful. What was the key thing that you took out of those leaders 
Um, and you mentioned that, I mean, Glyn had a different style. What, what we, as you were engaging with a lot of different leaders, what, what were you learning about how they were effective? I learnt, and I think this is quite different to perhaps what other people sometimes learn or expect, I learnt that they worked so extraordinarily hard. Like I understood and appreciated that for the people that I was working with, their leadership was their primary responsibility in their life, or at least certainly as far as I could see, and they took it incredibly seriously. And I think that really that resonated with me because I, I really appreciated how seriously they took this responsibility. Mm-hmm. And I also saw that despite working, you know, that, that was incredibly hard, but they, but they also were truly in 100% themselves in those roles. And, in fact, that was the strength that they brought to those roles. Mm-hmm. That they brought to those roles was that they, they were very um, true to their own styles, I suppose, and um, and demonstrated that kind of it didn't feel like a performance. I didn't feel like I watched someone performing a role. I just mm-hmm. saw them being in that role wholeheartedly, mm-hmm. and I think that mm-hmm. was very um, resonated really strongly with me. It seemed far more appealing than what I had previously thought, which was you know middle and upper management struggling with their own personal issues at the expense of everyone else in the team. You know, it's something you see a lot. Of. I'm glad that you had the opportunity, given those earlier experiences with such poor management, um, to then go on and be immersed um, Mm. through your work um, in much better leadership, as well as the the sort of the variations that must have been there. Mm. Yeah, Mm. it was fantastic. It was, and it was also fantastic in that I also got to, um, I guess, I got to see what I liked but also what I felt like would have missed been missing for me if those were the paths that I took and the big one for me was that I spend a lot of time with people who were operating in the space of ideas and particularly in that role I developed a lot of strategic projects with senior leaders and then we'd send them out into the world to be implemented by others and I was very conscious that it's easy to come up with ideas and it's really hard to actually deliver them well. Uh-huh. Yeah. So from that perspective, I sort of had this kind of gnawing feeling that I was getting the easy bit and not being challenged to do the difficult bit. So then through a whole random series of events, the opportunity came up to become the um, operations manager for a new centre at the, at the university mm-hmm. called the Centre for Workplace Leadership. And I jumped at it. I was so far out of my depth, I can't even tell you. I went from probably having maybe managed an intern at one point maybe to hiring a team of 30 and running that, which was uh, amazing and, and challenging. Yeah. And, and I think what, it, despite the fact that I had seen all of this incredibly thoughtful and careful leadership in action, I really truly only then understood just how hard it was. And that first six months, six to 12 months, I just felt like my heart was just sitting outside of my chest constantly. Like my emotional intelligence muscles were on overdrive. <laughs> I, had to, I had to learn how to be so, so much more emotionally tuned in. And that was a huge learning curve. Was that not something that you'd noticed in the previous leaders or was it really simply the difference between 
what you observe when you're not in a leadership role without those responsibilities and just the reality once you're in it. So, so again, it, it's almost that it's that difference between knowing and doing, which you talked about in terms of the ideas and the implementation of strategy. And here it's the, the ideas about leading and then actually leading. Yeah, I think you're, that's exactly right. And I think I had already been someone who, I wasn't someone who sat back and thought I could do it better. Like that's not really ever been my approach. And mm-hmm. I see a lot of people, I feel like sometimes that's a very common thing. People sit back and talk about how they could do things better than the people who are in the jobs. Yeah. And I wasn't that person, but I perhaps also needed to take the responsibility on to fully learn the kind of just yeah. how much of a full body contact sport it actually is to really be, <laughs> to be that tuned in and to take the responsibility on and, and to see yeah. it through. But that's also a huge leap. I mean, mostly in terms of leadership progression, we go from being the individual contributor into a frontline leadership role and you have a relatively small team. Um, I mean, you have the, you know, leadership responsibility and something like hiring for a brand new team, and it's, you know, that sort of startup idea. I mean, that's that's huge. So thinking about the Centre for Workplace Leadership, um, where you know, I mean, all of these things coincide, don't they? Because the purpose of that centre is about leadership uh, and you're on your leadership journey, um, having shifted your perspective. So what key, key learning from that experience? Um, look, the key learning, oh gosh, it, it, in so many ways, and I, I can't believe I'm saying this on a leadership podcast, I think it really also, like, helped me realise that a lot of leadership discourse is useful but a lot of it's actually just a lot of hot air you know and um but still I still find that the narratives around leadership are helpful because we're all learning and we're all figuring it out and 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 stories are useful for helping you understand what you're going through um but you know we spent an enormous amount of time I was as a professional staff member I wasn't directly involved in the research but obviously I was immersed in it as the operations person and I think, though, you know, the team spent an enormous amount of time trying to kind of pin down, you know, essential sort of leadership characteristics. And, you know, I guess at the end of the day, like, we try to make sense of something, but it's actually just so much more complex. And, you know, it's as complex as humans and human relationships are complex. So I think it gave me the confidence to sort of think and talk about leadership, but also know that there are you know that this notion of having some right answer or truth about leadership is actually kind of a fool's errand I think right yes and that idea that you'll be a great leader if you just follow these five dot points <laughs> yes exactly <laughs> it's amazing how many yeah, people so want it's top dot points yeah <laughs> so is that what you mean by the hot air yeah I think that's what I mean and I think also that you know, it's a very popular space. So I think there are, there's also yeah, different, there's quality, there's quality content and there's a lot of uh, feeling, feel opinions. And, um, but also I think even the quality content, um, you know, there's so much richness in that space. But, but I guess what I mean by hot air is just that it's like, yeah, if somebody is searching for some truth, this is what I can, this is what, this is the manual I need to follow. Um, mm. They will be sadly disappointed. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. I, I do think that leadership is a lot more complex and that focus, which I mean, I've done earlier in my career, focus very much on well, what, what are the characteristics? 
what do people have to be like? And I think it's, again, even that is very simplistic. Um, is thinking about the particular person, the particular time, the context that they're in. And I love what you said, you know, that leadership is as complex as human relations and human relationships, um, and they are complex. So it's a kind of a, a, a subset of that, but it covers all of it as well. I mean, I think yeah. that's very insightful. Mm. So that kind of learning, uh, you know, mm-hmm. first up, not seeing what kind of leadership is, then you get your your impressions, management's pretty lousy because all of these people are doing things that just aren't helpful. Mm-hmm. Then you get immersed in a couple of situations that give you exposure to some really good leaders. Then you jump into it in leadership yourself, what we might mm-hmm. think of as more formal leadership that involves managing people and recruiting people, etc. Um, and then you realise more of the complexity of it. What happens next when you move to the Atlantic Fellows Program? Yeah, so, I, you know, and then I'll get I'll ask you to explain a little to people after you've answered this sure. question, so that they understand the the Fellows Program. Yeah, well, you know, so the of, yeah, the Centre for Workplace Leadership was like this first formative experience doing and and you know doing a startup in the university. And three years later, I was on a new startup in the university, which was called the Atlantic Fellows for Social Equity, which we call AFSI for short. Um, it had come about through a philanthropic gift to the university. So, you know, I'd sort of, I guess, found a little niche for myself in the university as the f- sort of for-purpose person and um, the strategic projecty kind of person and now particularly kind of how to get something started in the university. So mm. I moved into a similar role over there at, at the Atlantic Fellows and um, and we, again, built a new thing from the ground up and it, it was a really different experience. I think I was, you know, it, it also I got to enjoy the fact that it gets easier a lot of things get easier, but also, right. <laughs> yeah. Good to and know. I, yeah, that's right. And, you know, yeah. at this stage, you know, I'd been at the university for about six or seven years at that stage, so I also started to feel that feeling of like, oh, I know how to do things. I'm actually really useful. I've done these things before. I'm not starting from scratch. And that was a really, um, it, it felt really good to be able to offer that to um, such a, an exciting and important program as Atlantic Fellows for Social Equity. Mm, fantastic mm. so tell us a bit about the program yeah so and the, the funding I mean the funding story is really exciting it is it's a fascinating I mean it's a bizarre and fascinating kind of uh story so um the Atlantic Fellows for Social Equity was uh founded through a gift from a philanthropic uh group called the Atlantic Philanthropies um they were in the process at that time of developing a global network of Atlantic Fellows programs. There are seven of us now, and we all focus on a different uh, aspect of equity. There's programs that cover health equity, um, racial equity, and uh, social and economic equity. And our program focuses primarily on Indigenous-led social change. We uh, take fellows from predominantly Australia and New Zealand, predominantly Indigenous fellows from those countries, and um, and we put them through a fellowship. We support their social change work, and the, the fellowship goes for a year, and then after that they join a global senior fellowship that is essentially a lifelong network of global mm-hmm. social change makers working together. So it's pretty yeah, extraordinary. 
Yeah, it is. Um, and um, what's what's the particular kind of focus and purpose? Social change um, for all of the the program, but for your social equity program, it's around Indigenous leadership. So and for Indigenous leaders. So what are you learning about leadership um, from perhaps some new perspectives? Mm. You know, it's a funny one because I guess this does actually relate to perhaps having been exposed to the world of leadership research and um, that space that I was very ready and excited to learn about what this notion of Indigenous leadership might be. Um, Like everything, it's, it's... many and varied you know so it's not like (laughs) it's not like there's a this is what indigenous leadership is but I I was I was I learned a lot through the process of not just working with people who were leading change in their particular fields and in their communities and really um and in various ways sort of doing that with the notion of sort of indigenous ways of knowing doing and being but also I was a non-Indigenous member of a predominantly Indigenous team as well, which mm. also then was another great way to watch Indigenous leadership or, you know, in, in, in action. Um, and I think probably what, you know, what I mostly learned about that was, mm. you know, at, at, at the absolute top level, the thing that comes to mind when I think about that is how limiting Western notions of leadership are, and also yep. the, the the leadership literature around, you know, which is absolutely in in this space in Australia, and I think probably sort of an, of, of absolutely the world is dominated by sort of these Western notions. And I think it wasn't just that I saw that there was there were other ways of doing it. I also felt uh, personally far more able to breathe in a space where there wasn't just one way of doing things or one notion of like this is what leadership is and I think what what that also speaks to is that you know so often you know particularly in a university universities are predominantly uh you know it's absolutely built on sort of western notions of uh you know uh education and is an institution that holds up all sorts of powerful structures. And I had found my way through that as a uh, young woman who was sort of finding a space in that. And I found a way to navigate that. But I also got to see that that there's so much more than just surviving in those spaces. Having said that, these are still incredibly hard places to be anything other than a white man in so many ways. And I think, um, though, one thing I really valued and what I learned so much was we talk a lot about, you know, in, in the sort of some of the more new agey discussions about leadership will often be about authentic leadership and about, you know, bringing, you know, wholehearted leadership and bringing your whole self to work and, and some of these notions. And I was really, really into that stuff. It, it, it helped me a lot when I felt like, work was kind of hard and I felt like I was maybe being chipped away at a bit by the work I was doing and so those sorts of discussions really helped me and I found a lot of comfort mm-hmm. in that 
But mm-hmm. what I find is that that is absolutely just built in to Indigenous leadership. Who is it for? It's for the community. It's for, you know, there's a, there's a, there's responsibility and collective, collectivity and, uh, and sort of a sense of who you are beyond a role, like some, you know, job is just absolutely built into everything that everybody does. Um, and so from that perspective, you know, without wanting to, uh, you know, um, pretend that, you know, there's some, you know, beautiful, exotic notion of Indigenous leadership because that's just quite icky. Um, it was really, um, I, I loved that from the get-go, there was so much more space for people's lives outside of work. There was so much more space for people's communities. There was so much more space for goals that went so far beyond my career, my um you know, my next promotion and was thinking mm. just implicitly contemplating, you know, the notion of of ge- multiple generational change in care and responsibility. Yeah. So tell us a bit more, I mean, the the about how what opened up for you in terms of your thinking. I mean, you know, Western ways of thinking and being are very individualistic, you know, and some of what you're talking about, it's about um, not having the individual as the priority, um, but having some bigger ideas, community, um, family as being bigger. Um, how, How do you see the, the differences there? between that sort of focus, what is, if you like, uh, and you, you've talked previously in our conversations about the lens of responsibility um, mm-hmm. and thinking about what 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 is the responsibility of leadership or what is the purpose of leadership? Mm-hmm. So how do you see those as being different? Yeah, I think in a way, I think the key there is that pers- for me personally, and I honestly don't know, maybe I'm, maybe I'm odd, but the, an individualistic approach to leadership never worked for me anyway. Like the reason I wanted to do, to take risk, the reason I wanted leadership was for responsibility and the idea that you can put your, you know, you apply yourself the best you can for others and for, for, for goals and, the, you know, uh, outcomes that are, are bigger than you and, and um, quite often not even for you to see was probably all like that. That's just, yeah. I think that's just how I see the world. That's just, that's just yeah. who I was. So in mm-hmm. fact, so often I would find myself when I was trying to find ways to be a better leader would find incredibly ind- individualistic sort of notions of how to, um, how to improve my lot. And, uh, and that, didn't resonate and I did sometimes mm. wonder if there was something wrong about the fact that I, I didn't want to think about things in those terms whereas you know whether it's colleagues or fellows or the literature when we're thinking about uh, Indigenous-led social change it, community is at the centre of that and mm. the lived experience is that you know so I was this person who was uncomfortably kind of sort of separating out my life outside of work or some notion of who I was yeah. beyond the role to kind of fit into a, a into an idea a sort of an individualistic leadership style 
Well, my colleagues didn't do that. And in fact, they didn't have the, the option of doing that. It wasn't an option to just leave everything else behind. And I am, a, mm-hmm. I mean, of course, you know, if, you know, so I think that's the thing is that it was, if I gained so much from a space where it was normalized that we cared about the world that we cared about our communities and that we felt a responsibility to those people. And from that as the base, then figuring out what does that mean I do each day at work, mm-hmm. what are our plans, what are our decisions, it was just a far more um, comfortable and far more true space, I think, to work in. And I suspect right, probably yeah. for a lot of other people too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, uh... I couldn't agree more. The, the focus on me and my career and what I'm doing and how I'm doing it um, comes out, I think, in a lot of notions around leadership, you know, being about confidence, um, but also about competition, always about growth. Uh, and I think, you know, I, I would say that we see some very unfortunate cultures developing organisations because of that and we see some very toxic behaviours if you look at the extreme of that. Um, and I certainly agree with you. I'm not saying that I fully understand the, the sort of leadership that you're talking mm-hmm. about, but um, the idea of leadership as being a service to others um, and when you are leading, you're in service rather than on a pedestal um, mm-hmm. as the kind of the font of everything. Mm-hmm. And I think what's, I mean, and maybe that resonates with people, but I think what's also worth pointing out is that the, for, for most, I suspect for most people, if you could somehow survey the entire world, they would be like, well, of course it is. Of course it's yeah. about responsibility. <laughs> it's self-evident. Like it's just so yeah. obvious. That's what leadership is. Yeah. Um, so the notion that somehow, it's, you know, become my career goals and even sometimes you know, my family's progression, even that I think is, you know, is still essentially a very individualistic and and very Western and very neoliberal approach, which is not some inherent truth in the world at all by any stretch. Yeah. And I think it's part of what's happened is that leadership and power become inextricably linked and we have that very individualistic focus around power. Power is something that I have as opposed to something I give away, which Mm. is what all the research shows, is Mm. how you become kind of more influential and powerful. Mm. Um, And, you know, perhaps it's the the thinking about how power is kind of used, taken, shared, spread that Mm. makes a bit of a difference. And we've kind of got this preoccupation almost with leadership, uh, which hooks into that um, and takes us on an, uh, an unhelpful path, which mm. is very different from what most of us want. Yes. All a bit and, confounding, really. And I think just one quick reflection on, on the terms leadership and power as well is that I think if you can engage in those terms with a sort of an expansive view, they can be really, I personally can find them really powerful and really useful to understand my place in the world mm-hmm. and, Yet, because of the dominance of, you know, discourse that is very much a sort of a Western individualistic thing, I think those words, those terms for a lot of people have become really uncomfortable. So, mm-hmm. you know, I've met an enormous number of people in recent years who just assume that power is a bad thing rather than yeah. 
yep. you know, a, a force, you know, and, and that leadership is what, you know, and that leadership, the word leadership is absolutely synonymous with the idea of somebody at the top of a hierarchy mm-hmm. um, or, you know, or, or more importantly, a, a, a white man in a suit at the top of a hierarchy. And I think it is such a shame that, that those terms, are, those terms that are incredibly broad and incredibly complex and as, you know, and, and as big as we want them to be for so many people have been kind of limited because of, yeah, of yeah. the dominance mm-hmm. of those discourses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and as you, I mean, we, we really talked about the history of Sarah and her relationship with leadership and the, the sort of the present um, in the Atlantic Fellows Program. Where do you see the future? Or, what, are, you know, what are you curious about? Where? What are you thinking about um, going forward? It's such an excellent question because something that I've really noticed is that you know, when I look, you know, when I was thinking about my leadership journey, I was thinking, oh, wow, you know, I used to be, I think especially because I didn't have expectations, when they were, sh- when they were early, you know, shot early and often, it, it, you know, I think one thing that that led me to is, is to understand that I don't know what's coming next necessarily. Mm-hmm. But what it also, what I, I look at back and I think, gosh, I was so, um, I, I really did go with my gut and I followed adventure and I followed passion and I followed or, or even just curiosity. Like I, I was, mm-hmm. I had so, I had so, um, I, I think also for, I'm, I'm very grateful for this quality, but you know, this notion of imposter syndrome, like I, I really felt like I had absolutely no business being in the spaces that I was in, but instead of feeling terrible about that, I mean, I felt terrible about it a lot of time, but also what I also felt was just make, just enjoy it while it lasts, you know? And so <laughs> I really did just fling myself at it. I didn't ever, I didn't feel all that much pressure to conform. So for some reason, I think I've found a comfortable space being, you know, I mean, to myself, feeling like maybe a little bit the odd one out, but that's been okay. And I think what that taught me was that following your curiosity, taking leaps and assuming that you don't really know what what the future holds does put you in good stead. Mm -hmm. The challenge I find at this stage of my career, now that I'm a fair bit older and, um, you know, have been around a lot longer, is that 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 sense of that sense of openness and curiosity is is so much easier to come by when you're young you know like that there's a there's a that lovely naivety of youth which served me so so well and so now I guess I'm at a point where it's about thinking about how do you keep some of the spirit of that and the spirit of that Mm -hmm. openness and curiosity um you know when you maybe have been around the block a few more times. What makes it harder just because you're a bit older? Well, and have more I, experience? Think, I think it's that thing as well where you, I think for me anyway, I just have to, I have to work a little bit harder on it. Like I think I can understand that as people, I understand now really well why as we get older, we get a little bit safer, we get a little bit more, um, perhaps a little bit more conservative we maybe even get a little bit you know we probably definitely get a little bit more cynical you know I think some of those things all can happen and I think I don't really want that to happen so I just have to really work hard on it you know make sure it doesn't okay very good 
So just in finishing up then, um, I wonder if you could um, if consolidate all of your wonderful experiences and wisdom into some lessons, particularly for younger leaders, mm -hmm. uh, people who are seeking to make some change in the world that we live in. Um, and, and what would you suggest in terms of how they think about leading itself their own role as leaders and 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 how to think about that the, themselves and the journey ahead mm. i don't know that i really spoke explicitly about this before but i think it's the thread that has been there for me and i think it's a really important one when i i first got a, a job with um the un like with UN Women, it's called now. Um, back then it was called Unifem in Indonesia. And I was heading off and a very wise colleague at my previous job told me to spend the first two weeks just listening. Mm -hmm. And I remember thinking, oh, okay, all right. And I remember at the time I was, I was often really trying hard to overcome what I saw were my leadership limitations or, or just my limitations, I guess, in general, right? So I, I think I was nervous. I was like, how am I going to get in there and show them that I'm going to be a useful team member? And his telling me to just go in and listen was the greatest gift of all because I did. It, it, it also allowed me to, instead of sort of thinking in my head, what do I need to do to be good at this? I just went in with an open heart and mind. And, and it also allowed, it allowed, it, it acknowledged that it wasn't about me. It was about you know, finding a space in this already existing team. And that mm. essential lesson has really, I think it holds true actually in every single new thing that you do, in every meeting that you walk into, in everything. So I think in a way, I think if there are voices in your head telling you that you have to perform a certain way or I have to figure out how to do X or whatever else like that and it feels like a pressure, like a push, in fact, you know, give yourself permission to just listen and observe and just see what's needed and, and where your natural place in that is and that will actually be a really useful guiding force I think. I think that's a fabulous lesson um, and it's a really important leadership lesson because if you think about leadership being for the community, for the world, for other things not yourself, um, then you have to listen so that you understand what those things are. If you're in your own community, it might be easier. You already have that implicit knowledge. But if you're moving into a different community or into a different space or into a different role, then I think listening is the greatest gift that you can give to others. There's nothing so affirming as being listened to. Um, but also you don't know what you don't know. So it's really good to mm -hmm. find out. And the best way to do that is is to listen to others. So I, I, think, I think that's a fabulous lesson. Any others? Last words. Um, I think perhaps the only other one would be to, while listening is really important, there's also another piece of this, which is that sometimes you also have to make really tough decisions. So get used uh -huh. to that. Yeah. And I think yeah. that's like the, that's the flip side of the same coin is that, there's an enormous amount to be gained from sort of allow, you know, allowing what comes. But there are also moments if your responsibility means 
take you know taking responsibility and from time to time that's going no in fact it just does what that means is that from you know you will need to 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 make decisions and I think what can help with that because I think if ever you're in a situation particularly you know if I've been you know leading a team where there are really different views and that listening helps me understand those views but doesn't help me form what the collective will is at that point. Yeah. I and I think, you know, some you could easily get lose confidence when you start to think, who the hell am I to make this call? But I think mm-hmm. remembering that leadership is a role and it is you're not in that role because you're inherently better than other people. It's just the role you have at that particular time. And you know, there's lots of good reasons why you're there. And in fact, to equip yourself adequately in that you have to take it on and you have to sometimes and then you have to make the call and I think that can be really tough particularly for um people who just really want to you know make the world a better place sometimes it's hard to switch into that tougher zone but it's a really important zone to to switch into yeah 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 and I think the flip side the flip side you know not making decisions does no one a service exactly Exactly, um, and so I think that sometimes when we work collaboratively, collectively, we actually defer decisions that are important. Um, and you know that that there is this kind of interesting dance that you're really, um, I guess, drawing out there between the individual taking responsibility for making some decisions, but then the collective will and the collective um, kind of focus and purpose is what you're making the decisions about. Um, mm-hmm. Exactly. Kind of that balance between them. Exactly. And and a great example of that is that if you look at any of the the best collective leadership and shared accountability models throughout the world, they are incredibly structured. They're incredibly, they are incredibly complex, and that and you know there is a very clear pathway to decisions. So you know it's a reminder that 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 um that you know shared accountability is no no accountability at the end of the day someone does need yeah. to make a call. Mm. Cool. Yeah, great. Fantastic. Well, Sarah, thank you so much for this really interesting conversation and thinking about leadership in different sorts of way, ways. I think that's fantastic for um, the Leadership Amplified podcast um, and, and certainly for the kind of leadership that I'm interested in promoting, which is leadership that's about mobilising people to face the tough challenges, to build a better future and to be uh, more inclusive. And that means we need to ask ourselves questions about the very core of what it is we're doing and how we're trying to do that with and through others. So um, it's been great to, to hear about both the program, um, your own journey um, and some of what you're learning along the way. Thank you so much. Thank you, Karen.